Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 this morning. I want to do something that's a little different for me this morning. Normally, what I do and what any of the pastors here do when we come to this time of preaching is that we take one passage and deal with that one passage. And a lot of times it's just a few verses that we, that we kind of hammer into and work through. And this morning, I want to do something a little different uh, in that what I want us to do is kind of consider a whole book. And so I, Jeff kind of raises his eyebrows. I promise that doesn't mean we're going to go verse by verse uh, through the whole book. We will get out relatively uh, on time, I promise. Uh, <clears throat> but what, what, what I want us to do is I want us to look at the book of Acts because I want us to see something in that book. What we see in Acts is we see this small group of followers of Christ at the beginning. And then when we get to the end of Acts, we see that the gospel has exploded over all of their known world. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at that and think what happened. What happened to, to lead to that explosion of the gospel all across their known world? We start out in the book of Acts with, with a small number of followers of Christ, and they're kind of huddled together, and, and they're, they're scared, they're uncertain of what they're to do, they're uncertain of what's going on, and, and what is going to take place in their lives. Then, by the end of Acts, we see churches that are, that are planted and established all across of Europe, Central Asia, and even into Northern Africa that the gospel has advanced to. And so what I want us to think about this morning is what took place, how did it happen for the gospel to move that much through these simple, ordinary folks? These people who were fishermen, moms and dads, just these normal, for the most part, completely uneducated folks. How did this happen? So that's what we want to look at this morning. How did the gospel advance in this kind of way? <clears throat> so Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And as we do this, I want you to see four things. Four things that happen in the lives of these believers throughout the book of Acts that enable the gospel to advance forward throughout their known world. So how did the gospel advance? First of all, the people of God submitted to the command of God. People of God submitted to the command of God. All right, I want you to, let's start here in Acts chapter 1. Jesus is here with his followers. It's 40 days after his resurrection. And so his followers are starting to ask him, so Jesus, when are you going to usher in the kingdom? We've been waiting for you to bring this kingdom, restore it back to Israel. And so his followers are asking this. And so Jesus answers their question and tells them, here's what you're to expect. And so listen to what he says in verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Now when we start looking at this picture, we kind of get, uh, we get the picture of what Jesus is telling them here. They're asking, hey, when are you going to bring your kingdom? Uh, you're getting ready to leave. What, what's going to happen? And so Jesus says, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. Here's what you're to do. So in other words, until I come back, here's your job. Until you see me again, this is what you are to be about as a follower of me. And so he tells them, your task right now, your job is to go and be witnesses of me 
to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. That's your job. That's the task that's presented before you. Now, this is really exactly the same thing that Jesus says in the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he says, go and do what? Oh, come on. Go and do what? Make disciples. I was getting really worried there. I thought, man, I need to change the sermon. We need to just jump into Matthew 28 and go over that. Go and make disciples. That is the task that's left to the followers of Christ. That's our job. Now, I want us to think, how do we normally think about that task, that great commission, to go and make disciples? I think one, one language that we use in speaking of that is we often think of it in terms of a call. You do that if you're called to it. Go and make disciples of all nations if that's your calling. But when we look at Matthew 28 there in the Great Commission, and we look here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, do you ever see the word call used? Do you ever see that idea of a, of a calling? You have a specific calling that maybe some other people don't have in regard to this. No, you, you don't see that. And instead, all it is is just kind of a blanket command do this. This is your responsibility. This is what you're to do. And it seems like sometimes what we've done is we've broken Christianity into basically two categories. You've got the normal everyday Christians over here, and then you've got kind of the super Christians over here. And the normal everyday Christians are just supposed to go about their day, and you know, don't worry about it. It's the super Christians over here who it's their job to take care of the Great Commission. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that's kind of the way we've broken it down. But when we look at these, at the Great Commission, when we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we don't see any kind of dichotomy, any breaking down into different groups. What we see is just a, a command that's given to every single follower of Christ. Your job, my job, is to go and make disciples. Here and there. Wherever that might be. Go and make disciples. So, when we start thinking about Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, verse 8, in terms of a command rather than a call, I think that begins to change how we see our task. Because in reality, what it comes down to is that every single believer has the command given to them to go and make disciples. Every believer has that task. What we see happening in the early church in Acts is what they do is they submit to that command. They each and every one start seeing that as their duty, as their calling, as their task to go and make disciples. And so what I want us to see is that the start of the advancement of the gospel begins there. If the gospel is going to advance anywhere in this world, it starts with believers recognizing the command of God and saying, that's the command for me. I'm going to be obedient to it. During that last song, Jeff talked about what would, what would happen if the people of God submitted themselves entirely unto God. And he talked about how this town, this county, this, this nation that we live in would be turned upside down if God's people were totally submitted unto him. 
Well, that's basically what we see happening in the early church. We see a small group of believers who are totally given over to God. And when that happens, they totally give themselves to the command of God and are obedient to it, no matter the cost of them, no matter what might happen. They say, I'm going to be obedient to that. So how's the gospel advance in Acts? First, the people of God submit to the command of God. Second, the people of God pray to God. And once we're committed to being obedient to the command of God, we start coming up with a question, how do we do this? How do we be obedient to the command to make disciples? How do we be obedient to the command to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? The disciples, I'm sure, wrestled with that same question. How do we do that? Their answer was that it only comes through prayer. Only through prayer. And so I want you to look with me in Acts about how these believers responded. How they responded in prayer to the advancement of the gospel. Now, I want you to remember their situation. I want you to think, just kind of try to put yourselves in the shoes of these early Christians. Christ says... been resurrected, he's gone uh, back up into heaven at this point. They've been given the task of taking the gospel uh, to all the nations. And so, but the reality is that the Jews hate them. Many people are even interested in killing them. The Gentiles really think they're just kind of a weird cult because they won't bow down to the, the, all the Roman gods. So they're a strange group of people anyway. Some people even think that they're cannibals because they, they claim to be eating uh, the body of Christ and drinking his blood. So they, they're called cannibals by some. So think about being in their shoes. Christ is gone. And he says, I want you to be my witness everywhere. But know that all this is against you. That there is no one who's really going to be interested in your message. What do they do? Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 14. says that this is right after Jesus has gone back up uh, into heaven. This is what they do immediately. They all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What were they doing? They just got together and they prayed because they realized that there was nothing that they could do to make this successful. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Skip over there. Look what they were doing. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to what? Prayer. Continually devoting themselves. Chapter 1, verse 14. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Flip over to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have gone out. They went to the temple. They saw a man there. They told him about Christ. Then now the, uh, the Jewish leaders are frustrated. They're angry. They arrested him. And Peter and John said, look, you are no longer allowed to proclaim the name of Christ. It's illegal. You can't do that. So Peter and John go back to the believers with him, and they, they don't know what they're going to do. And so then they just pray. And so listen to verse 23 and verse 24. This is what they do. Believers gathered together, knowing that the authorities said they're not allowed to teach this anymore. And so it says, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And when they heard this, immediately, immediately, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, Oh, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them. They immediately turned to the Lord in prayer. Now, I want you to notice something that doesn't, that doesn't really come out in our English translation here. Um, it, the first words that they say there are, Oh, Lord, in their prayer, right? Right? Well, the word Lord there is in the Greek is a different word than is typically used. In the Greek, the word that's usually used for Lord is kurios. Instead, there's a different word that's used here. It's despot. It's a word that is only used in reference to someone who has ultimate authority. It speaks of someone who has power, of authority, of ability that others do not have. And so what they're doing there is they're going before God and saying, you have the power. You have the authority. We don't. We cannot fix this situation. We cannot go about bringing disciples of of all nations. That is something that only you can do. Because they recognize that the task that they have been given is beyond their abilities. Now, I I want to tell you something. You and I have absolutely zero ability in and of ourselves to convert someone to Christ. You and I have zero ability to persuade someone to be converted to Christ. Now, I want you to think about, think about what you can do in persuading someone. Let's, let's just take a couple of examples. We're, we're in an election year now, and it's already been just filled with politics. What would be the chance of a hardcore conservative convincing someone who is a flaming liberal to become a conservative. What's the chance of that? Maybe one in a million, I don't know, one in a hundred thousand. What's the chance of someone who is extremely liberal converting someone to a, a, a conservative to liberalism? It's not very likely. All right, now let's turn, put it in terms of sports. You know, something we can all think about. You know, we've got UK. I want you to think about a hardcore UK fan and then Duke. What is the likelihood of a hardcore Duke fan converting a hardcore UK basketball fan to root for Duke? It's not going to happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe one in a million. It's just not going to happen. But you have a better chance of that than taking someone who is an unbeliever and convincing them to be converted to Christ. The reality is I have a better chance of talking to this pulpit and saying, rise up and walk and become a man. Why is that? Because if somebody is an unbeliever, then Ephesians 2 tells us that they are dead in their trespasses and sin. It doesn't say that they're sick in their trespasses and sin. It says they are dead in their trespasses and sin. And then we see in Romans chapter 3 that it says that there's none who seek the good, none who seek after God in and of themselves. And so if you have someone who's dead and someone who no one seeks after God in and of themselves, then that tells us that they can't be raised up in life in, in Christ without God doing the, that work himself. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again through the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way that someone can go from death 
dead in their transgressions and sins into life in Christ. So it's something that you and I have absolutely zero ability to do. So when the disciples were given this command to go and make disciples, to go be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, they recognized that they were being commanded to do something that they had no ability to do whatsoever. And so in that, they go to the Lord, falling down before him in prayer, going to the only one who has the ability to make any difference. And so we see this phrase repeated where they're continually in prayer. So, if God's people are going to make disciples, God's peaceful people must submit to the command of God and they must pray to God, the only one who has the ability to make any difference. So we see the people of God submitted to the command of God. We see the people of God praying to God. And now we're going to see the people of God made effective by the Spirit of God. Who would you say is the main character in Acts? Paul, Peter, Oh, someone said it already. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character in the Old Testament. Holy Spirit is mentioned like more than 50 times throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is the driving force of everything that happens in the book of Acts. If you're going to kind of pick a theme in the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit's work in advancing the gospel throughout the world. And so the main thing that we see is that the Spirit's work in bringing this about. So let's look and see how the Spirit's working throughout the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 2. Jesus has already told them that they should expect the Spirit to come on them in power. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, we see this happening. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit was, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So the early believers there, Pentecost, they're filled with the Spirit of God. And then immediately what happens after that? Look on toward the end of chapter 2, verse 41. What happens there at Pentecost? 3,000 people are saved. As the Spirit moves and works, 3,000 people are saved. All right, flip on over to Acts chapter 4. Remember, this is where Peter and John have been arrested. They've been told not to proclaim the name of Christ anymore. They go back to their, uh, to their fellow uh, believers, and they begin praying. And I want you to see at the end of verse at 31 of chapter 4, 431, we see what happens at the end of their prayer. It says, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, what happens as a result of them being filled with the Holy Spirit? What does the end of verse 31 say? They began to speak the word of God with boldness. So here's what we see happening in the lives of believers in this early church. They hear the command of God. They submit to the command of God. They go before him in prayer. They're filled with the Spirit. And because of them being filled with the Spirit, they boldly proclaim the name of Christ. Boldly proclaim it. You see, what happens is when the people of God submit to the command of God and they are 
praying to God and then they are filled with God's spirit, then they are bold in proclaiming the gospel. We see this all through the book of Acts in which God's people are filled with his spirit and the spirit guides them and uses them in powerful ways. All right, flip over to chapter six, verse seven. All right, remember chapter six, this is about the choosing of the, of the, um, uh, of the, of the seven who are gonna serve kind of as our first deacons. It's verse seven of chapter six, it says, the word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly uh, in Jerusalem. The, the word was proclaimed, the people of God were filled with the spirit of God and they go out and they're proclaiming the word and numbers of people are coming to know him. Over and over, we see this kind of thing happening. When Philip goes out to the Ethiopian eunuch, who leads him to the eunuch? It's the Holy Spirit. And so what we see is God's people doing something that, that they are incapable of doing. They submit to his command. They pray to him. The spirit fills them. And then we see as they proclaim the word, people are coming to know him. All right, so, so far, we've seen that the gospel advances as God's people submit to his command, as they pray to him, as they are filled with his spirit. And the last thing that we're going to notice in Acts is that the gospel advances as God's people proclaim the word of God. As God's people proclaim the word of God. You know, as we look through the book of Acts, one thing that we see over and over again is references to these Christians proclaiming the word. That phrase keeps coming up, the word. They're proclaiming the word of God. And we're not talking about a bunch of people here who have some kind of special speaking ability. We're not talking about some like trained orators or preachers, people who specialize in public speaking. These are just normal folks. Moms and dads, fishermen, farmers, whatever. They're, they're just normal folks who are going out and proclaiming who Christ is. Look over at Acts chapter 2 again. Acts chapter 2, this is where Peter is... Uh, is speaking. After this, 3,000 people are saved. Look at Acts chapter 2 and look through your Bible there. Do you see something different about the font through most of chapter 2? Do you see anything different? Mine, mine has parts of chapter 2 different, where parts of it are in all caps. You have that in yours? A lot of you have that? You know what that signifies? It's signifying that that's a quote from the Old Testament. So really, mostly what Peter is doing here is he's just going through the Old Testament saying, look, this is what the Old Testament, what was their Bible, says about Christ. That's all he was doing. He was just going through and saying, look, this is what it says about Christ. And then at the end of that, the Spirit moves and 3,000 people are saved. Flip over to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Same verse we were looking at a few minutes ago. At the end of that, it says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak what? Look at that. What, were they, what did they begin to speak? The word of God. Over and over again, we see that happening. Chapter 6, verse 7, we looked at this again. What does it say that kept on spreading? The word of God. How did it keep on spreading? It was simply the people of God who were going out and proclaiming it. It wasn't a bunch of preachers. They were just going out, and to the people they encountered, they said, here's this Christ that I've encountered. Here's what 
Scripture says about him. That was it. It's pretty simple. But through that, the word of God advances. Look at chapter 8, verse 4. This is right after Stephen has been put to death. After Stephen is put to death, the Christians scatter. They don't stay in their homes anymore. They, they go out to different parts of the land. And so it says in eight chapter, uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 4, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Ordinary believers, had, they had seen Stephen killed, and so because of that, they go out into all the different parts of the Roman Empire. As they go, they're preaching the word. Now, that doesn't mean standing behind a pulpit like this. It just means as they were going, they were simply proclaiming. That's, that's more the idea of the word that's used there. It's a, I'm telling you this about something. And so over and over again, we see this throughout uh, the book of Acts, that these were ordinary folks going out, and they were just proclaiming. There wasn't some special three-step formula that they had. They didn't have a bunch of tracts that they were passing out. They didn't have an altar call or anything like that. They were just simply going out and telling. Now, I want to show you how that happens kind of in everyday life with some average normal things. <clears throat> how many of you all are grandparents in here? All right, quite a few. How many of you who are grandparents have talked to somebody about your grandkids in the past month? Okay. All right. How many of you all are UK basketball fans? Yeah, a lot. Todd. <laughs> all right. How many of you all who are UK basketball fans have talked to somebody else about UK basketball in the past week? All right, quite a few. Why do you do that? Did you who are you who are UK basketball fans, did you have somebody sit down with you and go through a class with you about how you're supposed to do that? Now, first of all, what you want to do is you want to sit them down and talk to them about the wonders of UK basketball. Did you have something like that? No. Did you have some special grandparenting class that you learned how to tell other people about your grandkids and show them pictures? No. Why do you do that? Why do you just tell people and talk about these things? Because you're excited about it. It's on your heart. It's what you get it. It's what you like. And so it kind of overflows. Well, that's exactly what we see happening to the people of God in Acts. They're given this command that they're to go out and to proclaim the gospel, and it's because that's what's on their heart, because it's what consumes them, it's what they have given themselves to. It just overflows naturally into their conversations. They see people. They see that person probably doesn't know about Christ. How can I talk to them about this thing that is so heavy on me? That's part of who I am. It overflows. That's how we see the gospel advancing in Acts. It's not through just the apostles. It's not just through these church planters. It's through the common, ordinary believer like, like us who are just simply overflowing with the gospel as they go. Now, why in the world do I deal with this today? You know, today's New Year's Day. This is the perfect time to talk about how, you know, we give this year to Christ. 
or this is the year of prayer or some kind of special new year sermon that we could go into well the reason that reason i wanted us to deal with this is because of something that the pastors have been talking about over uh, over the past couple months or, or longer and, and it really kind of relates to something that pastor bill said about a month and a half ago if you were at the uh, thanksgiving day dinner that we normally have if you were there at that you, you heard pastor bill talking and, and usually during that time he gives kind of a state of the church and says this is how things are going everything's going well and da 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 and uh, but he said something that kind of stood out to me and that is kind of helping to focus what i'm thinking about here he said that one of the greatest needs for us as grace baptist church is personal evangelism is for us as believers sharing the gospel and i thought is that is that really right is that true i mean look at look at what we're doing we're going five or six times a year to peru we're going we've got teams organized to go to colonial village and to hope way so is it really that we one of our real needs as grace baptist church is to be giving ourselves to personal evangelism yeah because i don't think what he was talking about there was the church organized for different groups going out i think what he was talking about was me and you as individuals me and you as we go throughout our day and as we do our, our normal daily tasks and as we interact with our coworkers, our neighbors our classmates whoever it is that the gospel overflows from us I think that's, that's what he was speaking about. You know, the task that's given to every believer is to make disciples. That, that command to go and make disciples is it, a command that has different aspects. It has a here and there. We're to make disciples here and we're to make disciples there. It's to be everywhere. The command to make disciples has, has kind of two different facets to it. it. It's proclaiming the gospel to someone, and then as that person comes to become a believer, then it's walking beside that new believer, that guiding them into growth in Christ. So that they actually become a reproducing disciple. They go out and then do that again with others. That's the picture that we get of what it means to be a disciple. And so part of disciple making means me and you going and telling those around us the good news of christ and this this is what each and every one of us know and we've heard for all of our lives but i think i think that if you and i are honest if we're if we're just real honest with ourselves we'll probably say this is one of our bigger struggles as christians because we we know that we're supposed to to do that but sometimes just the thought of it just kind of scares us. And when we think about just going to, to talk to that person about Christ, start to get a little nervous or hands start to sweat or start thinking, I don't know what to say. I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't know what's supposed to be done in this situation. And so things kind of get busy around us. Life gets busy and, and we just kind of push it off to the side and I don't know if if that sounds like you or not but I know that at times that that really describes me and so as we know that this task is before us 
we, we start to have other things that creep into our mind and Satan begins to work on us. And, and so we start having these kind of rationalizations that come into our mind. That, that, we, that we think to ourselves, well, why I don't have to be giving myself to that totally right now? You know, we, we start thinking that, well, maybe I'm too young. Maybe, maybe when I'm older. Or maybe I'm, I'm just too old now. I, I'm, I'm past that. I'm just tired. Or we say that I, I, just, I just don't know enough. You know, there's so many people who know so much more than I do. I just don't know enough to talk to somebody about Christ. Or we look around at everybody around us and you say, everybody around me is a Christian anyway. But, but the truth is, all those things are just distortions and lies from Satan. That we are never too young to give ourselves wholly over to the gospel. Because the fact is, is that if you are a young believer, you are still given the command to make disciples. And if you are 95 and a believer, that command still is given to you to go and make disciples. I think one of the coolest things in Scripture is that we see Moses at 80 just start leading the people of Israel. And Paul, when he's in his 60s, is in jail giving himself for the gospel. And then we see Timothy, who's a young guy, giving himself for his gospel. It's across all ages, all spectrums, all races, everything, we see people just giving themselves over wholly, 100% to God. And we have to be careful that we don't think that everyone around us is a believer. You know, I think we live in a very, very churched, very religious area. But I think the reality is is that we live in an area where a lot, a lot of people claim the name of Christ but have no understanding whatsoever of their gospel. Where there would be a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but haven't been to church in 20 years. We'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you ask them, well, well how do you get to heaven? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. I think that the reality is that we have thousands of people all throughout this area who claim the name of Christ but have no understanding of the gospel and are bound for an eternal hell even though they would say all day long yeah I'm a Christian because they're simply relying on them thinking that I do more good than I do bad so I wonder what would happen in this area if God's people were doing the things that we see in Acts if we were wholly submitted to the word of God if we were submitted to being obedient to his command if we were falling down before him in prayer if we were filled with his spirit and if we were just going out and proclaiming Christ now I want to I ask you to compare yourselves to those early Christians do, do you have the same access to prayer that they had? Yes. Yeah, we have the same access to prayer. Do we have the same Holy Spirit? Okay, yeah. Yeah, we've got the exact same Holy Spirit. All right, do we have 
the word of God. Actually, we're in a better position than they were because we have the full, completed revelation of God right here with us. So that leaves the only thing then that is a different, that could be different for us is the level that we are submitted to the command of God. Because we have everything else the same or better. So the only variable there is, are we submitted to the command of God to go and make disciples? Here, there, everywhere. And so that's what I want us to think about as Grace Baptist Church. Because I really think that Satan wants to distract us, make us feel inadequate, make us so nervous at the thought of talking to that classmate that we would never go do it. So what we've decided as Grace, as the pastors here at Grace is that one thing that we're going to do in Sunday school for most of the adult Sunday school classes starting on January 22nd is we're just going to do something very simple um, study that will help us to know how we can just use God's word to share the gospel. It's a study called Christianity Explored. What it is, it's just seven weeks of going through the book of Mark to show how you can use the book of Mark just to simply talk to an unbeliever about Christ. Very simple. It's got a little DVD that goes with it, and it's got some cool stuff on it that you can watch and talk to an unbeliever about. But what we're going to do is just go through that together as a church so that we can see that, you know, we, we can take God's word and we can take it to a lost coworker or neighbor or family member, whoever it might be, and just sit down to with them and, and talk about what the gospel is and listen to them and know how maybe answer some of their questions. Because that task that we're talking about is there. For me and you right now, if you are a believer in this room, we are called right now, commanded right now, to be making disciples. That's the task that's before us. And so will we, like these early Christians, just say, yeah, I don't, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, but, but I'm going to submit. That, that command is for me. Let's, let's do that. Let's be that, that body that Jeff was talking about. Oh, what happens if, if a body of believers is totally given over to that and they totally give themselves to Christ and what might God be pleased to do through a body who does that? Let, let that be us as Grace Baptist Church. Let's that be our prayer that that'll be us. Let's pray to him. Our Father, we thank you that we can come before you. We thank you that we have your word. We thank you that we have your spirit. God, we thank you that you've given us a command to go and testify to you here and there, at home, at school, in Peru, everywhere, God, that we have the command to take your name to. So, Father, I pray that that you'll work in us to guard us from the attacks of Satan where he says, no, that's not your job. No, you don't know enough. You're too young. You're too old. You're not smart enough. Whatever those attacks that he throws at us, God, may we be prepared, have the full armor of God on us so that we do not submit to his temptations, his attacks. We are bold as these early Christians were. Bold in going before you. Bold in proclaiming the word. May we be a people 
who you use in ways that we can't even imagine. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.